Good morning. It is good to see all of you out this morning. We're glad that you're here with us. Our lesson for today is continuing our series on the church that pleases God. We have so far looked at the church as it was established on the day of Pentecost from Acts 2 and some of the characteristics of that church. Last week we have looked at the church of Philadelphia which is known as the Faithful Church. And we know of one other church that was written to and among the churches of Asia in Revelation that was given all condemnation rather than condemnation. Uh, they were commended for the work that they were doing. Philadelphia was one of those as the faithful church, but we also see it in the church of Smyrna as it was the persecuted church. And yet, even though they were persecuted, we see that they were faithful to God despite the severe persecution that they were facing. The church today is not immune to persecution. It is seen most often in foreign countries and things of that nature. Whenever we look at the church in, in foreign places, we see that they are often persecuted for their beliefs. There are cer certain countries who have outlawed Christianity or the Bible and any teaching that it regards. There are those who have uh, outlawed the assembling of people for purposes of worshiping God. And though we have been given the freedom to gather regularly to worship God and to study His Word together as we're doing today, this is not a freedom that is enjoyed by all. And it should not be taken for granted. And studying the Church of Smyrna should help us to understand that to some degree. Our government may one day decide to limit our freedoms as some have been condemned recently for standing for certain beliefs that they hold. And if we one day do face severe persecution as others do even now as the church of Smyrna did how would we handle such persecution. We see as the church of Smyrna did that we are to count it a joy to suffer for the Lord and always to remain faithful to Him. Let's start by looking at the commendation of the church of Smyrna. We begin in Revelation 2 and verses 8 and nine. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. Again, these are the words of Jesus to these churches. These things says the first and the last. Who was dead and came to life? I know your works, tribulation and poverty but you are rich. As we get into verse 9, the first thing that is mentioned is, I know your works. What kind of works are we talking about? The works mentioned in each letter are determined by the commendation 
or condemnation given to each of the churches. The works of the church of Smyrna we know to be works of righteousness. Because of how they are commended, we know their works to be those that pleased God. In Isaiah 61 verses 9 and 10, it says here, Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles, and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Though the members of this church were saved by God's grace, it was still important that their works be those depicting righteousness before God. We understand the importance of works from the New Testament. Uh, we are told that by God's grace that we are saved. And many take that out of context. But we are also told of the importance of works. Turn with me to James chapter 2. And let's begin reading in verse 14. James 2 and verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith? but does not have works. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 18, but someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab, the harlot, also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Also. 
Jesus himself said in Matthew 5 and verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Peter, preaching Cornelius' household, said in Acts 10, 35, But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. God is seeking from all of us works of righteousness. It may be God's grace that saves us, but we are justified in Him by our works, just as Abraham was justified by his works. Just as Rahab also was justified by her works. One cannot be saved in Christ if his works are the works of the devil. It's disputed as to whether the, that term works is actually used in this particular letter to this particular church. Uh, there are a couple of them that are, are questioned. But it is very important that even though they were given full commendation for what they had done, that we understand that their works were important. It was important that they had works of righteousness. It was an important example to all who were around them, all who saw this church, and all who see it today. It's important for us to notice the works of this church. In this letter it is written to them, I know your work. I know what you've done. I know the good things, the way that you have served me. Not only did he know of their works, but he also knew of their tribulation. The word tribulation in meaning is a cause or state of great trouble or suffering. And we might ask the question, what caused the tribulation of this church? There are a couple of things that are mentioned in this letter that might give us a little insight as to the tribulation that they were facing. It's possible that, that some of this was uh, had something to do with their poverty. Through their poverty came joy in the Lord. Though it is possible that some of their sufferings had roots in their lack of gain. Their poverty may also have been a result of this tribulation in some way. And what about the mention later on of the Jews and the synagogue of Satan? Notice what is said in Revelation 2 verses 9 and 10. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, 
that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. There were many who claimed Jewish heritage, but they were unwilling to give up their traditions for Jesus. Uh, they had been told that Jesus was coming, and yet when He came, they did not recognize Him. Uh, even to the point of denying His existence as the Son of God. They thought they were God's chosen people. And at one time they were. But they also rejected Jesus. Not all of them, but most of them. Synagogues were places of worship for the Jews. And though they gathered for worship by denying God's Son and persecuting Christians, their works were actually those more befitting of Satan. And so they are referred to as a synagogue of Satan. Whatever the cause of their tribulation, the church of Smyrna had provided, been provided with the comfort of knowing that God knows it and is with them every hour and in every trial as He is with us today. We can be comforted in knowing that God knows all. He knows all that we face, all that we're dealing with. And He is there with us at all times. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty. From an earthly standpoint, it would appear that this church of Smyrna was very poor. Uh, far from being wealthy. Man's riches are a great treasure to him and are certainly difficult to part with. We understand this from the telling of the rich young ruler as we often refer to him. In Luke 18, beginning with verse 18, we read of this man. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is, God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, All these things I've kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have, have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. This young man was unwilling to part with his earthly possessions for the cause of Christ. And Jesus goes a little bit further into that text to, to talk about... Uh, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
than for a rich man to give up his riches. Not impossible, for all things are possible with God. But it is difficult for someone who is very wealthy to give up their earthly possessions for the cause of Christ. There are many blessings to be found in the riches of heaven rather than the riches of the earth. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are, true, who are lowly in spirit find encouragement in that heaven will one day be there. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things of the world are only temporary, though the riches of God are eternal. The members of the church of Smyrna had found the riches of God to be far superior to those of the world, and thus they had become rich. They may have been forced into poverty for some reason that is unknown to us. But even so, they were able to count the riches of heaven as their own. They were able to look forward to those things. Physically, they were still poor, but inwardly, they had the hope of eternity and reward with God. In John 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Think about that phrase for a moment. In my Father's house are many mansions. I've noticed that some of the newer translations have change the word mansions to rooms and from an English standpoint it kind of makes a little bit more sense. But the idea of mansions it tells us that whatever space is given us in heaven or whatever place is given to us it is far superior to anything that we can ever imagine. Mansions are, are something that uh, they seem like they're only for the rich. And we look at them and we admire their beauty and, and everything about them. Whatever God is preparing for us, it's far greater than anything that we could enjoy on this earth. So I, I prefer that term mansions. God knew their poverty. But He also knew that 
they were very rich. They had reason for joy and tribulation. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 14. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part He is blasphemed, but on your part He is glorified. And in John 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. As we continue looking at Revelation chapter 2, Pick up with verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. It has been much speculated as to what this ten is. Uh, some have tried to place it in a number of years, uh, ten years that they would face tribulation. But it is also suggested that ten is a complete number. Numbers have great significance in Scripture, and this is one of them. And ten is a complete number. And as it is a complete number... It is suggested that Christians would suffer tribulation and persecution to its fullest. The church of Smyrna was to suffer persecution in its completeness. Uh, the number 10 is also seen in the 10 plagues of Egypt. And most interestingly to me in the 10 commandments. You ever thought why the 10 commandments were not 9 or 12 or some other number? Ten completed them. And when kept, they were, they were keeping the entire law of God as it was necessary to follow Him. Tribulation that they would face would be in its completeness. And they would overcome. Some of the brethren were to be thrown into prison. As is mentioned in this passage. And some were probably martyred. History records a man by the name of Polycarp. A leader in the Smyrna church. He was to be burned at the stake for his faith. It is said that the fire didn't reach him and so he was stabbed. But he suffered martyrdom nonetheless. The sufferings of the present couldn't compare to the glory of eternity. 
In Romans 8 and verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to, worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The sufferings of the present are only temporary. When we think of head to eternity, to the reward that awaits us, something far greater than anything that we can imagine here. And it makes those sufferings a little easier. Those who are faithful will be rewarded at the end of this life. The church of Smyrna was promised the crown of life. The crown of life, that's a term that is only mentioned once more in Scripture, at least in the New King James Version. In James chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. The crown of life, that's what we eagerly await. As we look at the church of Smyrna, we understand that they were encouraged to remain faithful. They were encouraged to overcome everything that they were facing currently. As we close our lesson today, I want to close with verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Though this letter is addressed to the church of Smyrna, by these words, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear we understand that this is written as much to us. It is written just as much for our learning as it was for theirs. All who read this letter are to heed its message and warnings. In light of our series on the church that pleases God, we see that the church of Smyrna was one such church that pleased God. God is pleased with the church that overcomes its sufferings, counting it a joy to suffer for the cause of Christ. Again, we don't suffer the way that, that many churches do in many other places. Here in America, we're given uh, the great freedom to be able to worship without fear of harm or persecution from our government. And it is a wonderful blessing and it's something that we should thank God for every day. We have the ability to talk freely with to people about religion, about Jesus, about what they need to do to be saved. There are many places where that freedom is not enjoyed. 
There are many who have to hide and, and go behind the backs of government officials to, to do so and bravely do. Uh, we don't face martyrdom in this nation as, as they do in many other places. And as many did in, in Scripture, think of Stephen who was stoned to death for what he believed. And even Jesus, how he was put on a cross for what he taught. They counted it as blasphemy. Maybe we don't suffer in the way that they did. But we do have sufferings. We do have different things that, that, that plague us. Things that, that would threaten our faith. And despite our present sufferings, whatever those sufferings may be, just as the church of Smyrna, we can look forward to the reward that awaits us in eternity. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The second death is a reference to the punishment of Satan's hell. Something that we are warned about in Scripture. And if we were to, to say it didn't exist, we would be teaching falsely. We're told about it in Scripture for very good reasons so that we can avoid it. And those who overcome will not suffer eternal punishment but rather eternal life in the presence of God. I have a dear friend and mentor. We studied the seven churches of Asia, spent a whole quarter on it in the school of preaching. And something that I remember him asking every night, what if I don't overcome? But we are told what happens if we are able to overcome. The seven churches were, were given warnings. And, and if you overcome, this will be your reward. But what if I don't? What if I fail to overcome? That's something that we don't want to know the answer to. God has told us what we need to do to overcome. He has promised us that we can overcome. He has given us the way to overcome through His own Son. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14 and verse 6. We can overcome. We've been encouraged to overcome but it is up to us to do so. We've been given all the tools necessary to overcome. But it is up to us to put them to use. If we want to be the church that pleases God, it may be that we do face persecution at some point to a greater deal than, than what we do now. We must be prepared for that. We must remain faithful. 
no matter what it may cost us. Are you a child of God? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you remained faithful? It may be that your need is to come in obedience. Be glad to baptize you for the remission of your sins if that's your need. It may be your need to come and, and rededicating your life to Him. Asking for prayer on your behalf or, or asking for forgiveness for something that you've done. We always offer the invitation and now it is offered to you. Will you come as we stand and as we sing? Uh, let's pay.